Nine Lives, the debut album from Catalyst, grips with infinite possibility and reflects the contemporary Los Angeles jazz scene. Catalyst is more than a nine-piece band. It's a collective of producers, composers, musicians, and writers who represent a who's who of the Los Angeles jazz community. You can listen to the album on all of the major music platforms or purchase a copy through bandcamp.com. Catalyst with a K, and the album is Nine Lives. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. United Biomedical has long been in the business of producing animal vaccines, but in recent years it's turned its attention to developing vaccines for chronic human conditions such as neurological diseases, diabetes, and other targets. More recently, it's used its vaccine platform to develop a multi-peptide COVID-19 vaccine and spun it out into a freestanding division dubbed COVAX. We spoke to COVAX co-founder and CEO Maymay Hugh and COVAX co-founder and chairman Peter Diamandis about the company's efforts to develop a COVID-19 vaccine, how its peptide-based vaccine works, and the case for this approach. Since recording this interview, COVAX began dosing participants in its phase one trial September 28, 2020. May May, Peter, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Danny. A pleasure. We're going to talk about COVAX, peptide vaccines, and the company's efforts to develop a vaccine for COVID-19. COVAX is a, a division of United Biomedical, which has long produced vaccines. May May, maybe you can begin by just talking about how COVAX came about. Yeah, sure. So uh, it started about six months ago uh, when COVID-19 was coming across um, the ocean. And essentially, uh, you know, my husband and I, Lou, gave Peter a call and said, listen, um, I think we could do something about this COVID-19. You know, we uh, we worked on SARS, the first one, uh, almost 20 years ago. And thankfully for the world, it never went anything anywhere. But uh, this COVID-19 doesn't appear to be um, letting down. So, you know, I think we can leverage our platform for both diagnostics and vaccines. What do you think? And of course, Peter was like, absolutely, let's do it. So that was the birth um, and origination of COVAX. And you now here we are, antibody test and one vaccine later. Oh, Peter, you're, you're both an investor and, and vice chairman. What was the relationship? How did you know Mimi and what led you to become involved? So I had met Maymay and Lou years earlier through the XPRIZE Foundation. They were at our annual visioneering event, which is our big get-together with sort of world leaders and philanthropists, and um, had became really super close friends. Uh, we have kids the same age. And I joined their board of a sister company called uh, United Neuroscience, which is now rebranding as Vaccinity. 
And uh, I found them to be just absolutely brilliant, passionate, dedicated biotech uh, leaders who had a very different mindset uh, from the beginning that that re- that was very um, resonated with me from a perspective of uh, things I care about about demonetizing and democratizing healthcare, uh, and and uh, uh, so I joined their board at this other company. Uh, and in March, when they called me, uh, I was like, yeah, of course, let's jump in. And I, you know, helped pull together the capital to kick COVAX off. And then Maymay um, and Lou, who are co-CEOs of COVAX and also the other company, Vaccinity, uh, you know, have an amazing science team uh, globally around the world. And, and within 30 days, what was extraordinary from like standing start, being able to use and leverage different parts of the of um, the previous companies, uh, Maymay and her team, first of all, developed what is now the most sensitive and most specific blood antibody test. This is not PCR. This is have you developed antibodies, right? The blood antibody test serology. And they developed about 30 different vaccines uh, and started looking at those, the efficacy of those vaccines and ended up with a lead candidate, which is pretty extraordinary. I think of you as a, a fairly big vision guy. People may know you as the, the founder of the XPRIZE or Singularity University. You've also co-authored a, a very optimistic view of the future in abundance, a bestseller. Really, a guy who's embraced technology is making a, a better world in some respects, your interest in COVAX is understandable given the scope of this pandemic. At the same time, it seems almost a bit mundane in that it's it's not a problem necessarily in, in need of a new technological solution. Is there something about COVAX that inspires you in, in, in light of the other things you do? Oh, well, there actually is the the it's the platform uh, here, and the platform is something that Maymay's mom, who was the you know the founder of the company and uh, and really the inventor of the technology. So we're living in a world right now that is healthcare isn't healthcare; it's sick care, and the system takes care of you after you're sick. And while we spend an extraordinary amount of money. Uh, in the United States, our healthcare is awful. I mean, it really is terrible. It's comparatively to other countries, the amount of money we spend, we should be ashamed of what we get as a result. And so the question really is for a lot of chronic diseases, can you in fact actually stop the chronic disease, prevent the chronic disease? And what is uh, the technology that, that this team has put together of these synthetic peptides, which are it's more chemistry than biology, and I'll you know welcome Mamie to go into the details. But the same platform that we're using for stopping COVID nineteen for the COVID nineteen vaccines have the potential to vaccinate people against things like Alzheimer's, against hypercholesteremia, against stroke, against allergies, against uh, Parkinson's, against a whole range of different elements. And so imagine being able to stop chronic disease dead in its tracks. And anyway, it's just so much potential here that it is, um, it's, a, it's a paradigm shift. It's not 
10 times cheaper, 10 times better. We're talking potentially a thousand times cheaper uh, and something that could change the world on, on an extraordinary scale. And that's the vision that May May and Lou have had that I became so enamored with. And May May or, or Peter, uh, either as a, an entrepreneur or investor, any hesitation in pursuing a vaccine where we already see 35, 40 in clinical development today? Oh, um, no, not at all. I mean, I think we need as, as many efforts as we can going about it. And the last thing we need to do is be complacent. Uh, you can see, you know, even just by a couple news that came out this week from other competitors, um, you know, this is an unpredictable field and we need as many shots on goal as, as possible. I mean, the first thing is, it's not a winner take all race. There are billions of people on this planet and, you know, one company isn't going to be able to serve them all. Um, there are going to be different vaccines that do different things and probably work better for, for different reasons, right? Either different populations or geographies. Um, it's critical that we have multiple candidates. Not to mention, you know, just because there are others further ahead in the clinic um, doesn't necessarily mean that they will be the best or even the first to the patient. And that's one area where we feel very confident and excited that we can actually leverage an existing commercialized platform uh, to really do some good. One of the things that's interesting to see is the range of technologies being deployed to create a vaccine. Some of these are traditional approaches. Some of these are new technologies that are being used to activate the immune system. United Biomedical has worked with peptide vaccines in animals and more recently has been developing experimental vaccines for use in man. What's the history and experience there? Uh, well, as you mentioned, you know, there's there's a tremendous lot. Um, one of the things that the platform has actually been commercialized in hundreds of millions, in fact, billions of doses in animal health. Um, you know, the, the parent company, United Biomedical, uh, developed and commercialized the first ever fully synthetic peptide vaccine against an infectious disease, which was foot and mouth disease. Um, they currently manufacture, uh, you know, almost 500 million doses a year. So um, there's a lot of experience in knowing how to scale up manufacturing. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a recipe. You know, even if you have a great recipe for one cake, you can't necessarily double it, much less, you know, um, you know, increase it by orders of magnitude and get the same cake. So it's a bit of an art. And it's something that has been uh, a lot of decades invested in perfecting that art. So, you know, from a commercialization standpoint, I think there's a lot of experience. About six years ago, uh, when we spun off United Neuroscience, we began repurposing the platform for human health. And so there are tons of learnings uh, from that in terms of completing four clinical trials now, understanding uh, the safety, um, the, the beautiful profiles of these vaccines. So I think. Um, overall, we're in a very good position from you know both a clinical perspective, but also a commercialization perspective. As you think about the qualities a vaccine needs to have, particularly given the nature of this pandemic, what's the case for a peptide vaccine? What makes it well suited to the task at hand? Oh, so so yeah. When I think about what a, what's needed for a vaccine to work, what's needed for a vaccine to really impact. Uh, uh, COVID-19, uh, there's four or five attributes. Um, the first attribute, Danny, is that when you give the person the vaccine, when you inject them with the vaccine, it has to elicit a immune response 
it has to elicit uh, your immune system to generate a high level of, of antibodies. We call this immunogenicity. Uh, and the numbers from our, our preclinical data are extraordinary. We're seeing between 100 to 400 times higher uh, antibody titers than you get in convalescent plasma. So um, it's pretty extraordinary. I mean, even a hundredfold is high, but you know we're seeing is uh, for a lot of the a lot of the uh, test data is as high as four hundredfold above convalescent plasma. The second thing is that antibodies actually have to do something. They can't just be you know flowing in your bloodstream. They have to neutralize the virus. And <clears throat> May May and their science team have relationships in China and Taiwan. So very early on, we were able to take our antibodies and test them against live virus, virus derived from human patients. And what we found was that the neutralizing titer of these antibodies, again, was to quote one of our science advisors, uh, knock your socks off uh, good. We have a, the metric is a neutralizing titer of 32,000. And when we compare that against other uh, other antibodies out there, neutralizing titers were in the 50 to 100 to 1,000, where we're up at 32,000. So looks like a pretty powerful. And the reason it does that is that the antibody is designed. It's designed not just to look at one specific element of the virus. It's, look, it's looking at six different epitopes. So the analogy is rather than just looking at the nose, that spike protein, it's looking at the eyes, the ears, the chin, the cheek, and, and, it's, and it's creating a very diverse immune response. So again, for antibody, for a vaccine to work, it has to be immunogenic. It has to have a high neutralizing titer. <clears throat> and then it has to be manufacturable. And we know this platform, um, you know, Maymay and Lou uh, have, in the animal health, have used this exact same platform to generate 5 billion doses. So we know that this is manufacturable at the level of hundreds of millions and potentially, potentially billions of doses. And then finally, it needs to be safe. And the safety data is gonna come out in the months uh, ahead, but we have a good indication because this platform has been used in human trials, in four separate human trials, that um, we have a high degree of confidence that it's gonna be safe. So. There's some of the elements I think about. Well, what considerations go into designing a, a peptide vaccine, and how does a peptide vaccine actually work? It's, it's a great question. Um, so we have uh, synthetic peptides as the core technology for our vaccines, and um, you know the the secret sauce is this library of synthetic peptide carriers that. Um, stimulate T helpers. T helpers um, cells are basically uh, the signaling mechanism in your immune system. So they activate your B cells and your T cells. And in, in order to, um, you know, properly defend yourself against an infectious disease, you want to activate both arms. So what we do is we build the vaccine around these proprietary library of T helpers. And we want to make sure that elicits not only good antibodies, like Peter mentioned, but also, you know, T cell arms. So on the T cell side, you know, we have other, uh, we identify functional um, sites that activate T, help or T cells uh, on the virus, and we mimic them with synthetic peptides. So that's one component. And on the B cell side, 
we have a, a, a large array of technologies that we can use. Sometimes they're peptides. Uh, if they're larger, sometimes we'll use a uh, little protein. Uh, so in the case of you know COVID-19, we actually have a, a small protein that we use as a tip that helps us um, target you know a place on the spike protein. So it's a number of modular components that can get switched in and out. Um, but the core is, is these synthetic peptides that are very easy to manufacture, that are very cost effective, that we've has a ton of experience, um, and that we know uh, how to use them in the appropriate manner to activate both arms of the immune system. You had alluded to your antibody test. Uh, I, I'm wondering if doing the testing and, and seeing all these samples did anything to inform design of the vaccine? Um, you know, it's, it's a great question. Uh, I think there's a lot of stuff that informs the vaccine. Uh, there's so much literature and so many papers coming out that were teaching people, uh, us included, about uh, what SARS-CoV-2 really was. Uh, one interesting thing that we saw from all of our samples was that there really was not a homogeneous response to um, SARS-CoV-2, the virus. So, you know, lots of people thought that uh, one part of the, the virus, the spike protein, was the dominant one that you had to target. But in fact, when you looked at, you know, all the, the samples, it was really across the board. So, you know, it didn't matter what age you were or how severe your disease was. Um, it was pretty broad. And so that made us really realize that we couldn't just go after one part of the virus. Uh, we had to go after multiple parts because that's how people were naturally responding. And uh, we want to get as broad an immune response as possible to really effectively uh, combat this virus. This is a, a global threat and challenge. Are, are there considerations not only to the performance of the vaccine in different age groups, but also ethnicities? Um, you know, it's, it's a great question. Uh, I think there's a lot of stuff that informs the vaccine. Uh, there's so much literature and so many papers coming out that were teaching people, uh, us included, about uh, what SARS-CoV-2 really was. Uh, one interesting thing that we saw from all of our samples was that there really was not a homogeneous response to um, SARS-CoV-2, the virus. So, you know, lots of people thought that uh, one part of the, the virus, the spike protein, was the dominant one that you had to target. But in fact, when you looked at, you know, all the, the samples, it was really across the board. So, you know, it didn't matter what age you were or how severe your disease was. Um, it was pretty broad. And so that made us really realize that we couldn't just go after one part of the virus. Uh, we had to go after multiple parts because that's how people were naturally responding. And uh, we want to get as broad a, a immune response as possible to really effectively uh, combat this virus. What's known about the, the vaccine from the studies that have been done to date? Um, you know, it's, it's a great question. Uh, I think there's a lot of stuff that informs the vaccine. Uh, there's so much literature and so many papers coming out that were teaching people, uh, us included, about uh, what SARS-CoV-2 really was. Uh, one interesting thing that we saw from all of our samples was that there really was not a homogeneous response to um, SARS-CoV-2, the virus. So, you know, lots of people thought that uh, one part of the, the virus, the spike protein, was the dominant one that you had to target. But in fact, when you looked at, you know, all the, the samples, it was really across the board. So, you know, it didn't matter what age you were or how severe your disease was. Um, it was pretty broad. And so that made us really realize that we couldn't just go after one part of the virus. Uh, we had to go after multiple parts because that's how people were naturally responding. And 
uh, we want to get as broad a immune response as possible to really effectively uh, combat this virus. And what's the clinical path forward and, and how big are you expecting the trials to need to be to be powered adequately? Uh, so we've covered, um, we've done quite a bit of animal testing. And as uh, Peter mentioned, you know, a lot of these have shown one that we get really um, beautiful immune responses. So they generate, you know, both antibodies and T cell activity. Um, and then a the second nature that, you know, those antibodies actually do something. So they, they're potent. Uh, they can neutralize the virus and they can neutralize it. Uh, so one of the tests we do is we dilute our serum. And even if we dilute it 30,000 times or so, uh, we're still able to see neutralization of the virus. So that's pretty exciting for us. And, and that's why we're really uh, um, eager to bring it into humans. And what do you think it'll take financially to get there? Are you having to raise funds at this time? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, we are, are raising funds. We've actually done a nice fundraise already, and uh, we feel pretty comfortable. We're also partnering um, with folks to run trials. So we just announced a partnership with DASA, uh, one of the largest diagnostic companies in Brazil and South America. Um, they and some other uh, folks have basically sponsored um, our efficacy trial down in Brazil. And, you know, the good news is that there are a lot of people looking to do this uh, and to get involved in this good deed. So, You've seen some rather optimistic forecast on when uh, the first vaccines may become available. But realistically, when do you expect a vaccine to be available for COVID? Any vaccine, not just yours. Uh, that's, uh, I don't know, Peter, if you want to answer that, but I think that that's a, a really tricky question. Um I think really it's when do you expect a vaccine that will be available that people will take that can be delivered to them? Yeah, I mean, again, we're going to see numerous vaccines that are racing through the trials right now. Um, and we may see a vaccine that's approved in the words, you know, FDA says, yay, verily, you can, you can sell this or give this. Now the question is how quickly can it be scaled up? Uh, so it is both getting through phase three efficacy and safety trials, and then also um, the ability to scale it up and deliver it. And then another thing, uh, Danny, that's important is this isn't a one and done. Uh, this is not going to be we're going to get a vaccination and then we're finished and safe. Um, from what we're seeing right now in from patients who develop immunity is immunity falls off over time. And we don't know exactly how long, but it may be that like the flu, you need to be vaccinated, you know, at least annually, maybe twice a year. Um, and ultimately, the vaccines that are going to be the dominant vaccines a year from now or two years from now may not be the ones that you're reading about in the front page every day. There's been talk about this being a once in a hundred year pandemic, my sense is for a variety of reasons, we're likely to see more outbreaks of novel viruses in the future. What are we learning from this in terms of generating a vaccine response to future threats? Uh, that's a great question. I'll, I'll, I'll give a little bit and let Maymay say the much more intelligent things. Uh, I think, first of all, it's important to know that this pandemic could have been a lot worse. And, you know, my heart goes out to those who are impacted from a job perspective or a health perspective or losing a loved one. But um, I think of this as almost a practice pandemic, meaning 
you know, it's got a high amount of uh, uh, virality in the words, the, the, the speed at which it spreads from person to person. But the mortality, uh, we, we actually have no idea what the mortality is still. There's so many different uh, deaths that are attributed to COVID-19 that probably should not be attributed to COVID-19. Uh, and we're going to see a lot of freshly minted um, PhDs and people who study this data. But it's somewhere between probably 1% and 2% mortality rate. Uh, but it's not 10% or 20% or 30% mortality rate, which would really have you literally staying in your home and going out wearing a, uh, a you know, a spacesuit to get outside for your groceries. So it could have been worse. We've uncovered a lot of problems. Um, I think one of the things I love about what what Maymay's technology, uh, the synthetic peptide technology enables is very rapid iterations, very the ability to rapidly try vaccines, test them, modify them if there's a mutation, uh, which makes it a really strong platform for iteration in the future. Maymay? Yeah, I, I think um, I like the idea of a practice pandemic, even though we're in the middle of pandemic. Um, you know, if anything, it's people have realized uh, the value of vaccines. You know, it's it's one of the most prolific medicines of our day, and it's it contributed to massive increase in life expectancy across the world. Um, so, you know, hopefully, it, it will continue that investment into vaccines, which will prepare us uh, for future encounters. I mean, there's going to be we've been bombarded with infections before. In fact, there there's many. Um, so, I, I think. The, the groundwork and the infrastructure is, is set so that uh, we'll be much more prepared um, so long as we keep at it. May May Yu, co-founder and CEO of COVAX, and Peter Diamandis, co-founder and vice chairman of COVAX. Thank you both for your time today. A pleasure, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, Subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.